So, you know, Heidi and I have been speaking together for the last while, and last couple of years, really, since COVID, we started doing this, and people, people tell us, and maybe you're these people, maybe you're not, but they tell us they really like it. Do you guys like that? Do you like it? Like, and they tell us, Eric? Eric, Eric says, I like it. Everybody else says, mm, it's you again. Uh, they tell us they like it because it's like listening to a podcast. You know, you, you, you pull up a podcast and put it in your earbuds or whatever and mow the lawn, and it's like listening a little bit like listening to a podcast. And so at the beginning of podcasts that I like to listen to, they always say, welcome to the pod, everybody. And so I just wanted to do that. Like, welcome to the pod this morning. We are so glad that you're joining us here on the, on the pod. And uh, it, it's kind of a weird way of saying it, but it makes me feel like a whale. And I kind of like whales. So welcome to the pod, Heidi. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, probably, you know, the people who are listening actually on a pod, they can't see us. And they're probably wondering why we're wearing such loud shirts. And so maybe you could explain <laughs> why we look so good today. Sure. So Larry, um, who's a member here, just got back from being with his family in Nigeria. He's probably sick from that. Um, brought us these cool tie-dye shirts. So in Nigeria couples match like this is pretty normal like you'd go to church and they they would match and that's how you know they go together you'd be like oh they go together and they go together and they go, and families and even families it's like that matching game you played as a yeah. kid with all the oh, little squares and you flip them together. over oh yeah these two go together so i was thinking about it it's kind of part of our individualistic american we're like mm, i don't know if i want to be you no know, match i want to be my own person so i don't know but that's why we we did this for larry he's sick <laughs> That's how it goes. We do yeah. things for people, and then they don't show up. It's so. all right. Hopefully, he'll feel better. It seems to be right now, if you travel, you get sick. It just seems to go together. So so the lesson to be learned, if you want us to dress like alike, buy us clothes. <laughs> mm, I'm not guaranteeing that. <laughs> so, yeah. I yeah. think a lot of you don't even listen to podcasts, right? I think a lot of you don't. You're like, okay, you can tell me you, it's like a podcast. I wouldn't know. <laughs> the funny thing is more people listen to the podcast than show up to church. Uh, sometimes. So. By the numbers. I don't know. <laughs> we keep looking at the numbers like, oh, what is going on? So All we're, right. we're podcast famous. Mm. We're podcast famous. and uh, We're nothing famous. Nothing famous. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. Yeah. So that was our introduction to our sermon today. So this is obviously going to go great. So we're in the book of Ephesians, and we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, get this, we're going to be in chapter 4 and chapter 5 together at last. Uh, this is one of those really bizarre passages. Uh, so I don't know if you guys know this, but the numbers in the Bible, they aren't there in the original Greek and Hebrew. Somebody decided, hey, we need an easier way to study this thing, which it was never intended to be studied kind of in the way that we study it. And so we need to put numbers so we know what we're talking about the same thing. So they added all these numbers in later, and uh, it was a little bit arbitrary. And this is one of the ones where it doesn't actually line up very well with how the thought processes break up. So we're actually going to be reading Ephesians 4, 17, all the way through 5, 2. And it's a little bit long, and so we're going to kind of go back and forth. We didn't rock, paper, scissors beforehand to see who was going to start, though. So should we rock, paper, scissors now, or should I just start because I always lose? Well, I think that you have an ESV in front of you. Oh, that's true. I do. And I have a different translation in and front of me. We have, <laughs> and, and we have that translation on the screen behind us. Okay. So I guess you get to read it. Yes, I guess so. Um, 
Okay, so the reason that we don't, we, we often just stick to like the RSV or NRSV. NRSV. I think this passage is super familiar if you've been around. And so for me, I really enjoyed it from the First Nations Bible. And so this week we're going to go there and we might pull, we're going to pull out some phrases that you might recognize from the NRSV, because I think it actually helps clarify a few phrases that my whole life I've been, I still don't know what this means. So I'm going to read it, and it is long, and so I invite you to, to listen and to try not to get distracted in the midst of it and to listen for the Holy Spirit. Just what, what kind of sits with you today? What settles in you? What are you curious about? So so listen for yourself, and I'll read it, and then maybe you can. It's pretty long, so maybe it'd be best if we share. All right, here we go. And I'm going to change the use to you alls as best as I can remember. I say this to you all as one who represents our honored chief. You must no longer walk the dark path of the nations, also could be Gentiles, who have chosen their own ways. Their minds have no good thoughts. Because the darkness has taken away their ability to see and think clearly. Their hearts have become as hard as stone and can no longer beat with the life that comes from the great spirit. This takes them down the path of greed and selfish pleasure, leading to an impure life. This is not the path you all learned from the chosen one. For the true path to walk is only found in creator sets free, Jesus. Take off that worn-out and stained outfit of your past life with its selfish desires and worthless ways of thinking. It no longer represents who you are. You all are now true human beings. Jesus is said to be the true human being. So you are all now true human beings with a new way of seeing and thinking. Put on the regalia of your new life, for you have been made new created again to look like the one who made you, standing in a good way and walking a true and sacred path. We are all members of one body, one tribe. So we must speak the truth and be honest with each other, leaving the path of falsehood far behind. There are times when anger is the right thing, but do not let your anger turn into rage. For it will burn like a wildfire. Work, thing out, work things out before the sun sets that day, or the evil one may use it to burn up all the good things in your life. There is no room for thieves on this sacred path. The, one, the ones among you who have stolen and, take, and taken what is not theirs must learn to do good, working hard with their hands. In this way, they will not only have enough for themselves, but also something to help others. Keep a close watch over your words, the words you speak, for your mouths can be full of worthless and empty talk that will bring death to others. Let your words be full of wisdom and goodwill that will give strength and bring healing to the ones who hear you. In this way, Creator's Holy Spirit will not be grieved, for it is He who marks you as His own and keeps you safe for the day when all things will be complete." Let Creator pull the bitter roots from your heart, for they feed the rage and anger that takes you down a path of fighting, hurting, and speaking evil of your fellow human beings. Instead, 
Show goodwill and kindness to others by releasing them from the things they have done wrong. For this is what the Great Spirit, through the Chosen One, has done for you. We must follow in the steps of the Great Spirit, for we are His much-loved children. Walk the road of love, following the path of the Chosen One, who loved us and offered up His life to the Great Spirit like the smoke of burning sage. This is God's word for us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The word of God for the people of God is what I was trying to say. The word of God for the people of God. Now you can say, thanks, thanks be, be to God. God. You're like, that didn't work. I don't have any idea what he said. That's a long passage, and it's beautiful. Um, Paul, Paul seems a little hot, though, in some places. Paul seems a little agitated in some places. It's, I think, a little harder to hear there than maybe in the NRSV. As we read the NRSV, there's things in here for me that really kind of poked my modern sensibilities and kind of set me on edge a little bit. And if I'm really honest, maybe the first couple of times I read it, I was like, I don't even want to listen to what he has to say anymore because this isn't, uh, this isn't how we talk. <laughs> this isn't how we say things nowadays. And there was a couple of pokes, and I, I wanted to ask Heidi and I were talk, kind of talking about this, but the first one was this. So in, in the NRSV, the, the verses start, he says that, Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. This is where he begins. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. And I stopped right there. I'm like, how come he gets to insist on things? I don't get to insist on things. If I, as a pastor, said to you, I insist that you guys stop using your cell phones. You guys would look at me like, one, you're uh, like, that's ever going to happen. And two, like, what gives you the authority to say things like that? So I'm like, why, is, why, does, he, why does he think he can insist? And why does he feel the need to insist? So what do you think, Heidi? I was saying, I think it's cultural. I think in that culture, it's all, it, it was fine for Paul with his position to insist. And I actually think we, we don't. I think we would be turned off. You'd be like, click, you know, like, stop listening. So I think for us, when we want to insist, I'll tell you what we're saying. I invite you. I hope. I long for. I desire. And I cannot. In, but this is like, that's what Paul's saying, I think, really. I, I invite you. I hope. I long. I really wish that you guys would pay attention to this. And so I think. I told Jamie, that's what I switched it to in my head. He's like, that bothers me. And I think, I think what I heard after saying that, he's like, this is really the way I want you to live because this is what's best for you. So it, it didn't bother me, but I think I switched it in my head. But you gave away our secret. <laughs> yeah, I When did. we want to insist on something, <laughs> we're saying, I invite you. I encourage you. I implore you. you know, we're going to use all those kind of words. And what we really mean is insist. So, depending on your personality, if you're one of those people that say, don't tell me what to do, you can stick with those other words. But if you're one of those people that really needs somebody to poke you and tell you what to do, there's the code. Okay, you'll know what we mean. The second one that really kind of, again, poked at my modern sensibilities is the very next phrase. Uh, it says, in the NRSV, it says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the, in the new... new the, no, what are the, tr the First Nations, that's what I was looking for. First Nations, they say, don't live like the nations. It really smacks, uh, it just really sounds a lot like, don't be like those people, right? We got this shame language that goes around it. 
Paul doesn't seem to be very nice about it here. He's like, you must no longer live like the Gentiles live. Um, he, he's, it's like smacks of judgment and cultural superiority. It's saying, we're so much better than all those other nations, so don't be like them. I even did the head snap with it. Um, and I, I kind of, it bothered me a little bit. So what do you think about that? So it caught my eye because Paul's saying to the Gentiles, don't be like the Gentiles, and they are Gentiles. And so it caught my eye. I'm like, what are you saying? So what he is saying here is he's saying, once you become a believer of Jesus, once you say, yes, I believe Christ, you are no longer a Gentile. You are in a new kingdom. He's saying, don't be like you were before you became a believer in Jesus. He's saying all the nations, like it doesn't matter what nation you are anymore. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, whatever you are. When you come to Christ, you are no longer a Gentile. You are a follower of Jesus. And so he's saying, don't be like you were. I've invited you to a different way of being. Be this way. He actually insisted. He insisted that you live. <laughs> he insisted he that you live. He invited you. He implored you. Don't live this way anymore. So the one reason I really loved the First Nations Bible is because they really highlight the path. They really invite, they really highlight the two journeys. I think you have them up here. Um, he says that there's, there's two paths. And so Paul starts with the one path. And there's a path that leads to darkness. And there's a path that leads to a hard heart. And there's a path that leads to selfishness. And then there's a path. He's showing you, and there's a path that leads to light. When I was sitting with Sister Lillian, she's my spiritual director, and I was talking about how did the church get here on this topic? Like, how did we get here? And she's like, because it, it feels so unchristlike. She's like, one step at a time. And we choose the path we take. Have you ever seen your own life, and you're like, how did I get here? And it's one step step at a time. And I love the picture of a path and a journey because you don't just wake up one morning and your heart is hard and you are blinded and you, you have chosen these small steps along the way. You don't wake up one day and you're like full of wisdom and all of a sudden everything that comes out of you is kind. It's a, it's a path and a journey. And I think the picture that I kept seeing here is like a dark tunnel and as you continue to go further and further down, like you step farther and farther and farther and you go deeper and deeper, people say, have you read this like in tunnels? They can be completely lost. They have no idea which side is up and which side is down and how in the world they got there. And I think he's showing, Paul is saying, there are different paths. And if you keep going, your heart will be so hard, you won't even know how you got there or how to get back out. The language he uses is, is really familiar to us, and I kind of wanted to read it to you here in, out of the NRSV, which would be more familiar, but talk a little bit about it. So this is what he says. Like, this is what the Gentile way of thinking was, okay? The, the, before, the before thinking. He says this, that, don't be like the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hard-heartedness. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to the licentiousness, that's a big word, the greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So we've, we've heard this, the futility of the mind, the darkened in their understanding, the hardness of heart, and the loss of all sensitivity. In fact, 
I have been on the other end of this passage actually being weaponized against me before and making decisions like, well, you're just living in the futility of your mind, which is code for you're not listening to the Holy Spirit on this. And I'm like, that's not what this passage is talking about at all. And if you go back and you read, you like, I spent quite a bit of time just with these couple of verses looking at the Greek and seeing what the Greek pictures of the words, because that's kind of how Greek often works, like these metaphors and pictures. This is the picture that Paul is painting. When he says the futility of your mind, he's not just trying, talking about trying to think your way out of a, of a problem. He's talking about living with a sense of purposelessness and the feeling of emptiness. When he's talking about being darkened in their understanding, he's actually describing spiritual confusion. They're like, is there a God? Is there many gods? Who is God? What is God like? How do I know that God likes me or cares about me? What do I have to do to please God? And they get all of these questions, and they're just confused and don't have answers. Hardness of heart is talking about callousness. And it's not just callousness against being kind. It's actually they're no longer moved by how others have, are breaking their humanity or how their own humanity has been broken. They just don't care anymore. Do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and as long as I'm happy and as long as you're happy, that's just fine. And we're calloused to the pain and destruction that it causes. And last he says they've lost all sensitivity, which is a result of a callous heart. This is literally means they are numb. They're numb. They just want to feel something. And so they let everything go, and they let all moral standards go, and they try anything that they can to feel something. And as I read that, I was, first of all, I was like, oh, man, it's sad. This is a really sad way of being that Paul is talking about. But then I realized, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the exact situation that psychologists and sociologists are describing about people today. We're not talking about pastors I'm talking about secular psychologists and sociologists are saying that in the United States today, we have an epidemic of loneliness, and this is what it looks like. People are empty. People are purposelessness. They are confused. They have no moral center. They have no, uh, no um, communal connections. Their hearts are hardened to one another. They just want everybody to have their own way and to be happy on their own, and it's just fine. And they've, they've lost all sensitivity, and we've moved to a numbing culture. And that's why we're legalizing uh, marijuana and things like that. It's, it's, it's things to help us numb the pain rather than to deal with what's right in front of us. Paul, 2,000 years ago, is describing the United States in 2023. And it's, it's a pathway. How do we get there? One step at a time. We start by living out of purposelessness. Our, our understanding becomes dark because we don't have purpose and we lose a connection to God. We get spiritually confused. We begin to harden our heart. We no longer care what other people do. We're so inwardly focused on ourselves. We're isolated and we're alone. We lose our sensitivity. We begin to numb the pain. And then we're in this dark cave and we don't know how we got there. That's what Paul is talking about here. And he says... I insist, <laughs> I insist in the church, in the children of God, in the people of God, don't live that way. You've been given a better way. And he says, you've learned, you didn't learn Christ that way. And I really love that language because it says that we didn't just, we didn't learn a way. We didn't learn uh, three steps. We learned a person. And it made me think of marriage and Heidi and I. And when we first got married, I thought I knew you pretty well. But 23 years later, I, I, I can understand your moods. I understand when you're sitting and you're tired and I can see and I can read those things. I learned a person. And I haven't learned her perfectly, but I'm learning her 
over the years and continuing to learn her. And that's what Paul says, you learned Christ. So learn Jesus and don't live in that way. That was a big, long part for me. And so now and she's like, man, where do I go? I was, I was listening. So sometimes when I'm, it's my turn, I was like listening. Like I got lost in what he was saying in my thoughts. Um, so that was good. It reminded me of an article I read in The Atlantic. This is what happened. You're listening, and it reminded me of an article I read in The Atlantic that said Americans are unkind. He said we're mean. And so why are Americans so mean? And it was talking about because we haven't been teaching people how to be kind. And in a way, that's what Paul is going to do here. He's going to teach us how to be kind. But we have to be careful. Like when I was reading it, I was realizing we have to be careful not to read this as, and become like moralistic, right? Like we can become like, if I follow this line, I'm a good human being. I can, um, but that's not really what Paul is wanting us to see and to get lost in. He's, he's wanting us to become a true human being. Have you heard that, like your true self, like who God really created you to be? It's right here in verse 23. That is what Paul is actually saying. When you are going to follow these ways, you're going to become who you were truly made, who God made you to be, and following Jesus, who is the true human being. So in, in the next part, Paul kind of presents two different paths. And if you have them up here, um, skip the two wardrobes for now, just for time's sake. Can you go to the... Um, it is a, yeah, thanks. So in the next part, Paul is going to show you kind of what it looks like to what you were before you were in Christ and what you're invited to in Christ. I'll just say, like, a way of seeing this is that on one path, you need a certain set of clothes and mm -hmm. there's a certain set of things you need to put on in order to walk that path. And on another, there's a different set. So that's what these two lists are. And so what's really interesting, because Paul is still talking about us being one, we're still one. If you operate in any of these, the old humanity ways, think about the harm that you are doing to the unity of the one. You could like take each one and sit and think about it. When I show up and my anger is out of control and it's moved from it's okay to be angry but to rage, I hurt this unity here when I'm raging at you. If I come in and I, my speech is ungracious and it is biting and kind, it hurts the unity the body. And the strange thing is about it is if we're all one, when I am raging, I'm actually hurting myself. I'm hurting all of you, and I'm hurting me. When I lie, I'm not just lying to the two people. I'm lying to our community, and I hurt the unity of the community. So here's one phrase that I think helps explain this, but you kind of hop down to the bottom, and it's a phrase that I've always been like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered, like, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit, or maybe you have, or not to grieve the Holy Spirit? I was like, what does it mean to grieve the Spirit? So this is a phrase that Paul took from Isaiah. And he took it from Isaiah 63. And so you have to read Isaiah 63 to see what he's getting at. 
So Isaiah 63, this part is, imagine this, it's a story of the Exodus. Paul is telling it, right? Doesn't he keep going back each time? We're like, back to the Exodus, back to the Exodus. So in the first part, they're like praising God for saving their life. They're praising God for taking them out and saving them and crossing the Red Sea, you know, like saving their lives. And then they get down to the next part, and and the people are like, where's our food? Where's the water? Where's the provision? What are you doing for us? And the people start turning on God, and the Holy Spirit was grieved. I saved you. I took care of you. I brought you out of this. And now what are the people doing? They're grumbling and complaining. So Paul is saying here, you have been saved. You have been brought out. You've been brought to freedom. And when you live like this, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. When you're not living as you were truly made to be, when you are stuck raging at the things around you, it makes the Holy Spirit really sad. And that is why Paul is like, I implore you. No, he didn't. He insists. I insist. See, I even changed it, right? I changed it to make it more appropriate. I implore you. I insist. Because he's like, this is not what you've been called to if you've been brought out into freedom. This is not freedom. He reminded me of... Children going to a refrigerator. I won't say whose children. <laughs> children going to a refrigerator in their warm home with the heat on and that they had a nice long shower and they've been provided for and they go to the refrigerator door and they open it and it's full of food and they go, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> that's, what the, that's, what, that's what the children of Israel did. Like, yeah. well, you just rescued us and saved us, yes, but where's the food? Like, ugh. I just what where my mind went as you were talking. See, that happens. Only happens in our house, right? Nobody ever had that. <laughs> Single people are like, actually, it happens in my house, too. <laughs> There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to eat. Mm. So I think it'd be important to read these two lists a little bit before we move forward. So in the old humanity, in, in the old way of being, in your former life, before Christ rescued you, before Christ saved you, and some of you are going, I was eight years old when I was saved. What does that mean? You know, those things still hang on. It's not, like Heidi said, it's not a sudden break. It is a lifetime journey. So in your old person, take off your old human, your former way of life that is being ruined by deceptive desires. Take off lying, anger. Let the stealer no longer steal. No rotten speech, no bitterness, anger, wrath, yelling, or blasphemy. Those are the things, those are the ways that we used to be. But now in our new human, the way we learned Christ is to put on a new human to be renewed in the spirit of your mind that has been created according to God in righteousness and holiness of truth. So speak truth. And that's even like, you know, simple things. Does this dress look awkward on me or look bad on me? I mean, it's a terrible question, but be truthful. Be kind, but be truthful. Not allowing the sun to set on your anger. And you're going to need to talk about that for a second because that one's been absolutely barbecued. Work so that you can share with others. We need to talk about that too. Speak words that build others up and give, um, so that you can give a gift. And then lastly, put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. That's the clothing, the second wardrobe we need as we walk the path of Christ. So Heidi, would you talk to us a little bit about uh, allow, not allowing the sun to set on our anger? Yeah, I will. I don't think it's meant to be extremely literal. I think it's meant to be so that you don't let the roots 
of bitterness and resentment and anger last and linger. I think we have done a really terrible job of talking about anger in the church. Um, I think we've been, and it says right here, there are times when anger is the right thing, but don't let it turn into rage and bitterness and resentment. I feel a lot of anger. Do you not look around and feel a lot of anger when you watch the news? How could, how could you not? When you see things the way people are hurting one another, I feel a lot of anger. And I grew up thinking it was not okay to feel anger. I really, really did. Like, good Christians don't feel anger. And so do you know what I did? I felt anger, and I just let it sit there. And then what does it do? It seeps out and in resentment and bitterness. And everyone else in the room knows that you're angry, but you're like, I'm not angry because I'm a really good Christian. I've never seen that in the church ever. <laughs> yeah, everyone else in the about. room is like, I know that you're angry. So I'm not an expert on anger. There's I live so much of my life not being allowed to be angry of myself. But I will let you know what happened for me this last year when I admitted to myself how much anger I was holding and when I allowed myself to look at my days and just see what I was angry at. My anger is not as powerful. My anger is not as big of a deal. My anger was very consuming for me and when I was able to verbalize, I've got a big thing with anger, it, it's smaller now. And I think with many of these things, I think we think Christians don't lie. Yeah, we do. We lie a lot. When do you not tell the truth? When you ought to, right? You keep your mouth shut instead of saying something that the Holy Spirit's asked you because you're scared or you're nervous. We, we lie a lot because sometimes because we're good people, right? Christians are good people. And um, I did the kindest thing. I kept my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a phrase that I, I'm very familiar with. Yeah, and it's not always. Sometimes it's the meanest thing. Yeah. And then he goes on to talk about let the stealer no longer steal. And so, like, most of us are like, oh, good. I've got that one locked down, right? I'm not stealing. Good, good for me. But Paul actually in this, this, this pairing is painting for us a continuum. He's saying, look, there are people out here that are, are stealing they are, it's what they, to get what they need. They are stealing to provide for themselves. And there are people out on the other end that are working hard, and they use what they have as a gift. But there are all these people in the middle, which is kind of where I fit. It's in the middle, where I work hard, but I have a hard time sharing. I have a hard time with generosity. I grew up with, in poverty, so I grew up with very little. And so I hold tightly to what I have to protect, you know, protect what I have. And what Paul is saying is, look, Working is not the goal. Working is not the win. It's not providing and paying your bills. That's not the win. It's not providing good things for your family and vacations and that kind of stuff. The win in Christ, what we're to put on is a generosity that says, everything that I have has a greater purpose than me. Everything that I work for belongs to God, and it has a greater purpose than my personal gain and my family's well-being. It goes beyond to where we have to share. And that is the calling of believers. And it's really hard in this culture to say, hey, you need to, you need to, to give. You need to tithe. But it's, it's because the reason we need to do this is because it breaks our selfishness. 
It breaks our sense of pride and our ability to, to provide for ourselves. It teaches us to depend, and it provides for the work of God in the church so that others may have as well. That is what Paul is talking about. And it, it, like, it shocked me as I read it. I'm like, work so that it's not work so that you have a good retirement. Work so that you have a nicer house. Work so that it's work so that you can share. And we're called to that sharing life, the generosity on the other end of it. Where are we going to go? We have two things left, I think. Uh, one is, I'm going to point. One is that, and one is this. Okay. So, okay. We're coming to an end. And most of you are like, Phew. Thank goodness. As I read these things, and we talked a little bit about moralism, you know, it, moralism is the idea that I can take steps to be a better person. And when I don't take those steps, I know that I'm not a better person. And that's not what Paul is getting at here. Again, he's, he is talking about you are on a pathway, you are on a journey, and as you're journeying, you're taking off, you're taking off stealing, or you're taking off I have enough for my family, you're, and you're putting on generosity. You're taking off rage and anger. And as you take those things off, the reason that we can do that, the prayer of Ephesians is that we'd be filled with the love of God, that we would be able to get our brains around the height, depth, width, and breadth of the love of God, because when we do that, we're actually enabled to live out of that love. And I was reading a book this week. It's, uh, it's a book. It's funny. Amelia has this, this habit of it saying, what's your book about? And I'm like, okay, the title really gives this away. It's called The Diary of a Country Priest. What's it about? I'm like, it's a diary from a country priest. Okay? She's like, yeah, but what is it about? What's the plot? I'm like, it's a diary of a country priest. So this country priest is, uh, you know, he's, it's his first parish, his first church. And he has these mentor pastors. And he's meeting one night, and he wrote down in his diary what this mentor pastor said to him. And it's totally stuck with me as this is what Paul's talking about, that we would get our brains around the height, depth, width, and breadth of the love of God so that we can live differently. And this is what he said, this older mentor pastor. And this is a little bit long of a quote, but I want to say it. Look, I'll define for you a Christian people by its opposite. The opposite of a Christian people is a people who have grown sad and old. You'll be saying to me that isn't a very theological definition. I agree. But why does our earliest childhood always seem so soft and full of light? A kid's got plenty of troubles like everyone else, and he's really so very helpless, quite unarmed against pain and illness. Childhood and old age should be the two greatest trials of mankind. But that very sense of powerlessness is the mainspring of a child's joy. He just leaves it all to his mother, you see. Present, past, future. His whole life is caught up in one look, and that look is a smile. I'm going to let that sit for a second. That look from his mother is a smile. Well, lad, if only they'd let us have our way, the church might have given men that supreme comfort. Of course, they'd each have their own worries to grapple with just the same. Hunger, thirst, poverty, jealousy, you may be sure, but man would have known that he was the son of God, and therein lies your miracle. He'd have lived, he'd have died with that idea in his noodle. That's your brain, in case you were wondering. And not just a notion, not just a notion, uh, not just a notion picked up in books either. Oh, no, because 
we'd have made that idea the basis of everything. Habits, customs, relaxation, pleasure, down to the very simplest of needs. That would have stopped, wouldn't have stopped the laborer from plowing, or the scientist swatting at his logarithms, or even the engineer making his playthings for grown-up people. What we would have got rid of, what we would have torn from the very heart of Adam, is that sense of his own loneliness. When you come to church and worship, you're worshiping beneath the smile of Christ. When you put on generosity, you're putting it on because of the smile of Christ, not because Christ frowns at you for being tight-fisted. When you let your, you are, admit your anger and you deal with it, you do it under the smile of Christ because God loves you so, so much. He is smiling and looking down upon you, and you can live your life day to day from the smile of God rather than imagining this frown every time you fail. And that's why we can put on this new humanity, because the Holy Spirit is empowering through the smile and love of God this new way of being. One more metaphor to close. Nope, that's good enough. That's it. Yours was really good, though. You're welcome. Okay. Well, we wanted to end, and since I talk last, I think you get to do it. We get wanted to end with the prayer. You wanted to read it from here? I wanted to read that prayer again, Paul's central prayer to the whole book. All right, here's the prayer, Paul's prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power of work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing the doxology? Father, our response to your word today is to sing this song to you. Praise God from If you heard nothing else, I hope you heard in that quote, Jesus loves you. He is smiling on you every day, every moment, because he loves you. And we love you too. To the best of our abilities, we're growing in love every day, and I hope you are too. We will see you here next week as we continue the Pullman Foursquare podcast. <laughs> <laughs>